Welcome to the Brisbane Property Podcast with your hosts, Melinda and Scott Jennison from Streamline Property Buyers, your local Brisbane property specialists. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Brisbane Property Podcast. My my name's Scott and with me is Melinda today. Welcome back, everybody, for our second episode where we're going to be tackling what is happening in the Brisbane property market amidst the COVID-19 pandemic. So there's been a lot of changes in life, um, things happening, and uh, life has changed for everyone, as we know. So today, um, in the update, there'll, there'll obviously be a lot of stats. And as we've mentioned before, Melinda's the researcher here. So she will bring a lot of stats for you, probably do a lot of talking today, uh, just to give you an update of what is happening in Brisbane, especially um, during this time of um, COVID-19. Yes, there's definitely been a lot of uncertainty. So as we all know, the World Health Organization declared that the COVID-19 outbreak became a global pandemic on March the 11th, 2020, and hasn't life changed since then? Now, um, what we're going to report on today is what specifically has been happening in Queensland and, in fact, more specifically in Brisbane, because whilst there's some tragedy happening around the world, and certainly even in Australia, there are some states that have been impacted more so than others, we really want to keep this relevant to Brisbane and help uh, listeners to understand what we're actually seeing and what the stats are for Queensland. So across all of Queensland on the day that the pandemic was announced, we actually had two confirmed cases. That was March the 11th, 2020. And as of today's date, it's the 6th of May, we have 1,043 cases. Now, something to keep in mind is that since April the 5th, uh, we have pretty much flatlined here in Queensland in terms of the new confirmed cases. And since that time, the majority of newly confirmed cases for COVID-19 have been from returning uh, overseas travellers and also from interstate travellers. So it does um, help people understand that the incidence of local transmission has been very, very low in Queensland. And of course, our economy is starting to open up already, which is fantastic news. Um, but what's relevant here is how does this all relate to property and, and what's happening in the property market? Yeah, so um, as, as Melinda mentioned, and we've both sort of said, life life has changed a lot, whether it's from uh, homeschooling, which I think is driving a lot of people mad. And we've, we've seen to the light of that already in, in Queensland, year 11 and 12, we're going back next week. And I think uh, preppies in grade one, I That's believe. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the others will follow in the next, in the following couple of weeks. So yeah, look, that that's changed in, in life, whether you're painting your house, whether you're gardening around the backyard <laughs> and making those improvements, which is also a good thing in property, I believe, manufacturing a bit of equity in your own property. Uh, so it's, there's a positive on that side of things. Um, but also one thing we want to talk about is, is what we've done different from a business side of it um, as buyers agents with our clients as well. Yeah, so I'd say about 80% of our clients are investment buyers looking to purchase an investment property here in Brisbane. Now, as the case numbers were increasing throughout March, certainly towards the back end of March, um, it was becoming quite scary and there was a lot of uncertainty about how this would impact our lives Um, how this would impact property markets, how this would impact people being able to rent a property. And as a result, uh, our property investment clients were placed on hold. We just felt that there was too much risk associated with pushing forward with an investment strategy. Yes, we could continue to purchase a property for them, even though the circumstances around buying property had changed significantly with the cancellation of 
open homes and also the cancellation of uh, online or sorry of auctions because they were all uh, relocated to online platforms but what that meant was that we really couldn't quantify the risk for our clients if they were to purchase a property and we had no idea about what would potentially happen in terms of getting a tenant. So we kept communicating with a lot of property managers to understand what they were finding uh, about, you know, being able to get a tenant in place. And there's certainly uh, some interesting outcomes. Now, we also had some clients that we had helped earlier in the year that had longer settlement periods and they were settling at the peak of the pandemic, which was a frightening thought for us at the time because we really had no idea whether they would be able to secure a tenant. Now, for some of those clients, we were able to negotiate a rent back with the seller, which obviously was a win-win outcome because it provided certainty for both our buyer and also the seller in terms of where they had to be located in in terms of lockdown but there were some properties that were vacant and where we we did need to put it out to the rental market to try and find a tenant now what we found in that process in working with some property managers is that rental demand had definitely softened and um we took a more aggressive approach and in consultation with those property managers, the asking rents were reduced only slightly and it depended on the area, but that enabled the property managers to secure a quality tenant very, very quickly. And there was a lot of talk, a lot of noise um, in the media about tenants defaulting, uh, the relationship between landlords and tenants um, and all of those sorts of things that we had to consider as well. So uh, as Melinda just said there, and Melinda, can you explain a little bit on what sort of figures are you talking about when you look at a, a rent reduction, for example? That's a good question. And it did depend on the location. So generally speaking, we weren't looking at any more than five or 10%. It was just pricing the properties that were being listed just under those that um, may have already been listed in the area to attract a tenant interest and also given that tenants had to go through those properties for private inspection, uh, we could quantify the risk associated with a rent reduction by putting a tenant in for six months. Um, we could certainly, you know, if it was a $20 per week reduction, as an example, we could calculate that out to, to understand exactly what that would cost for our investors. But what that provided our investors was certainty about the next six months. Um, and obviously, the rent could be renegotiated on the other side of um, whatever we were heading into. So that's a strategy that worked very effectively. And it ensured that none of our clients were left without a tenant in their property. And therefore, uh, not only did they secure a tenant, but they also got to pick their tenant. Uh, and in this instance, the the tenants that had applied, um, they can ensure those tenants were in what they considered a safe industry so that they wouldn't fall into a position where they would default on, on paying their rent. Yeah, so it's a, it's a trap some people get into sometimes when, they, when they're after a certain amount of rent per week and they, they get, whether they're stubborn or whatever it may be, where they say, oh, I don't want to drop an amount um, and, and reduce that rent per week. Now, it, it's you can do the maths yourself, but let, let's say it's $500 a week as some round figures and you drop $10 a week. Um, you know, over six months, that's not a lot of money. And yet, if you buy in the right area with good capital growth, you'll make that up quite quite quickly. And when everything picks up again and you've got another tenant to come in, you can increase your rent and away you go. So it's a good, comfortable thing to have. Also, um, as Melinda mentioned, and I think it's something we do quite a lot, and, and I don't know the percentages of it, but the, the, 
rent back to to sellers, it gives them a bit more comfort knowing that they're not in a rush to move out. They've got somewhere to live. They're comfortable in their existing house. Uh, it's a good incentive for them uh, as well, and it's a good uh, way to to buy properties with um, people in good areas and have good tenants as well. So since the, the worst of the pandemic, uh, what we have found more recently is that there's been a significant sort of shift in the number of rental properties that have become available for rent specifically in the Brisbane CBD. Now, I know that I always talk about the fact that Brisbane is not the same property market as other major capitals around Australia. And this, um, these are some numbers that, that help to provide an example of that. So according to CoreLogic data, the change in the number of properties or the number of rental listings between the 22nd of March and the 26th of April 2020, so across the worst of the uh, pandemic that we're facing, the total change in the number of rental listings increased the greatest in inner city Melbourne, and that increased by 36.2%. This was followed very closely by um, the inner city Sydney location where there was an increase of 34.1% in the total rental listings. Now, CoreLogic did publish the top 25 most impacted locations and whilst there's been an increase in the Brisbane CBD only, that increase has been in the inner city suburbs um, a total listing increase of 2.7%. So comparatively, when we're looking at the number of properties available in Brisbane versus, for example, Sydney and Melbourne, you can see that there's drastic differences based on the data. Now, the Brisbane inner city location also falls behind a number of other locations in New South Wales and Victoria, including the Sydney eastern suburbs, the Sutherland Shire, the inner west, Um, as well as Melbourne in East, Newcastle, Geelong, Gold Coast and Adelaide, just to name a few. So it's very important to understand what's happening at a local level so that you can understand the impact on the rental market and the demand for those rental properties, as well as how many are available, you know, to rent at any particular time. Yeah, we did have a couple of properties settle actually during the the period um, and they they were rented out straight away. So as Melinda said earlier, a, a small rent reduction, but we secured tenants for them. Um, they're investors that, that bought those properties. And um, yeah, look, they, they just happened to settle uh, in, in the what we call the, the lockdown period, I guess. Um, but the good thing with those numbers that, that Melinda said is we're still able to have property managers secure good tenants for them as well. I think there was a lot of uncertainty here in Queensland as well. Our state government made some uh, pretty crazy proposals, to be honest, in relation to the uh, proposals for between landlords and tenants in relation to rental hardship. Now, thankfully, our uh, REIQ and industry bodies really um, lobbied against some of these proposals. And what ended up being legislated through government um, was quite fair and more in line with what the other a lot of the other states proposed. So basically, tenants who are in financial distress um, due to the impact of the coronavirus who cannot meet their rent commitments can ask for a rent reduction, but that's not a rent rent waiver as such. Um, It is a rent reduction that um, would need to be paid back at another time. Um, Tenants also could not be evicted. So there is a um, the protection in terms of if they can't meet their rent, you can't actually kick them out, which I think is fair and reasonable in the circumstances. Um, There were a couple of other arrangements put in place in terms in terms of fixed term agreements, if they were expiring at the peak of or during the coronavirus pandemic, that landlords would have to extend 
those rental agreements so that the tenant could stay in place. So look, overall, a fairly fair outcome. Tenants do have to prove their hardship using um, some of their financial uh, information or disclosing that financial information to their property managers. So um, interestingly, when we're speaking to property managers across Brisbane, those that are outside of the Brisbane CBD where there has been a small spike in listing volumes have consistently reported that there has been less than 2% of their entire rent roll that's in rental arrears. So that's not what the media will lead you to believe. But um, interestingly, the amount that the federal government is putting forward in the stimulus package um, seems to be sufficient to cover the rents here in Brisbane. Now, remember, the average or the median rent value in Brisbane is a lot lower than it is, again, in some of the Sydney and Melbourne markets. Um, And the same goes for our median mortgage repayments, it is a lot lower because the volume of, sorry, the value of our houses is a lot lower than Sydney and Melbourne markets as well. So it's definitely all got to be considered when you're looking at an investment strategy. Yeah. So whether it's a principal place of residence or an investment, and obviously talking on rentals like we are at the moment, we're we're talking a lot of uh, investing, but when when you look at buying property in general, um, people have previously looked at realestate.com and domain and those types of sources for looking for properties. Um, What are you seeing at the moment for um, volumes listings? Yeah, look, stock is definitely drying up. And what I mean by that is that the number of properties that are being listed on realestate.com and on domain here in Brisbane is shrinking rapidly. Now, SQM have just put out some monthly figures Um, which have confirmed that there was a large fall in listings across April. And between April 2019 and April 2020, listing volumes in Brisbane declined by 10.1%. So that's quite significant considering when you look at 12 months ago, we were in the lead up to a federal election. So we already had a really tight market in terms of low volumes at that time. Even in the last month, though, from when coronavirus was at its worst in March through to April, uh, we've seen a further decline in listings um, down another 5.6%. So we really are in a market that uh, we have really limited supply or very few properties to choose from when we are looking at the major real estate portals on realestate.com. But um, Scott, what are we seeing off market? Yeah, it's funny, um, without telling everyone all our secrets on how we come across properties for our clients but something we've um, worked on for a long time and we've been really keen to get in with agents is is off-market or pre-market opportunities it's not something that it has it's been easy to come across Um, we've done a lot of work with agents on that side of things but it's interesting in this time now with this coronavirus that we're actually the off-market opportunities has increased an incredible amount actually so they're coming to us restrictions on auctions, open homes. We still did private inspections uh, and we still do private inspections now. We can still do that. But the off-market opportunities from agents, because they know we have qualified buyers, it's a really popular um, opportunity for us to look at properties. Yeah, it's interesting. There's definitely been, if I was to, to graph it out, there's been a positive correlation between the number of off-market properties that agents have been emailing or texting through to us as well versus the number of coronavirus cases as that was increasing. We, we just saw that panic coming through from sales agents across Brisbane. But 
you know, because sales listing volumes have decreased, but agents are typically still talking to sellers or vendors. Uh, They're testing it off market before they actually look to bringing it to some of the real estate portals because, you know, sellers are understandably uncertain at this time as to whether they will achieve the prices that um, they're wanting to achieve. Uh, To date, there's certainly been no price falls in Brisbane. And in fact, the latest CoreLogic data shows that there was 0.3% growth according to the Hedonic Home Value Index across the month of April. So it's really important to understand, you know, what the data is telling us. Uh, We do have to reflect upon the fact that data is retrospective. So that's indicative of settled sales and not not actually what is happening on the ground now. Um, And in fact, what we are doing here in Brisbane is reaching out to a number of sales agents and mortgage brokers and property managers and other industry professionals so that we are getting on the ground updates in terms of what's happening in certain pockets in Brisbane. So we not only have to look backwards at the data to see what the data is telling us, but we're looking forward or rather we're looking at real-time information and we're interviewing those agents. If you're wanting to follow that interview series, you could series, you can connect with me on LinkedIn, um, on my LinkedIn profile where we're putting all of those interviews up. They're just small snapshots of what we're seeing in different parts of the Brisbane market. But they also confirm that, um, you know, prices are stable and there are enough buyers uh, predominantly that's been supported by home buyers, not investors uh, to date across the, the period that the pandemic has been affecting us. But there are enough buyers to support the volume of sales or the volume of listings that have been brought to the market. So, you know, that's reassuring that we've certainly not seen any price softening to date that is evident across the board. Yeah, one thing I didn't touch on when I when I mentioned the off-market back there uh, a little while ago was previously we would talk about some people didn't want to have open homes all the time and go through the hassle of getting rid of their pets and cleaning the house and moving out every every during the week and on the weekends. But I guess under the current conditions we're in now is people are also a little bit cautious about people just coming in their house um generally just people coming in and touching things and walking through the house and people are a little bit cautious of that side of things as well yeah and i think that we saw agents um become a little bit concerned as well for properties that they brought to the market on realestate.com if there were a number of interested buyers um remember open homes have been cancelled so sales agents could no longer open the property on a saturday and have everybody you know filter through that property at once um every buyer needed their own private inspection and of course that takes up a lot of time for real estate agents when they do have a property where there is a lot of buyer interest and there have still been those types of properties here in brisbane um even at the peak of when the coronavirus you know, pandemic was escalating. So it does take a lot more time for agents and therefore the ability for them to shop it off market directly to buyers agents or directly to buyers themselves uh, becomes advantageous for both parties. And I think that's why we've seen that spike in activity off market. Yes, I have a little uh, listen to that. Uh, if you, if you, as Melinda mentioned about the socials, um, those interviews, they're only short um, couple of minutes they're just from a variety of agents, mortgage brokers, as Melinda mentioned, and they're from all different areas in Brisbane. So it just, it's a general, it's not a sales pitch in any way. It's just giving you an update of what's actually happening uh, so you can keep up to date with what's going on on the ground here in Brisbane. So you look at the government side of things. Um, personally, I, I think our government's done a fantastic job um, to flatten the curve, as, they, as everyone talks about, and control... Um, the virus. The other thing that they've they've done is JobKeeper, Job 
seeker increase looking to increase employment any any assistance can you give us a bit of an update on those types of things Melinda? Yeah, look, obviously there's been a massive government stimulus response. Uh, now, we've all got to keep in mind that this is um, a health crisis and the economic crisis has been a forced shutdown of the economy and it's based on government decision, not not based on anything that was happening before the health crisis became such a problem. So that's something we've got to keep in mind. And the government's objective is to try and pause the economy. Now, there definitely will be some long-term you know, hangovers as a result of this, and no one's denying that. But, you know, we've got to remember the level of stimulus that that government is putting into the economy. Um, If we're looking at the amount of the value as a percentage of total GDP, we're looking at 16.4%. Now, that's absolutely enormous. You know, we can look back at what the government contributed as stimulus uh, back in the GFC, and that was equivalent to about 4% of GDP. So in this instance, we're about four times more stimulus is being pumped into the Australian economy. And, you know, the purpose of that is to try and, you know, help the economy to recover on the other side of this pandemic. Um, the positives, I guess, in relation to pos- in to relation to property at this point in time is that in the lead up to this crisis, we actually have um, a very stable banking system. So banks aren't in trouble, you know, they're actually open for business. And in fact, credit is very, very cheap. So from the perspective of property, we are able to access mortgages um, at a very, very low rate. In fact, it's never been cheaper to borrow money to purchase property. And um, yet in Brisbane, the gross rental yields um, that we can achieve you know, it's it's not uncommon to achieve rental yields upward of 4.5, even 5% in areas that will also deliver very good capital growth. So, you know, for a property investor that has a long-term outlook um, or a home buyer indeed that's looking for their forever home or somewhere to upgrade to, providing you've got stability of your own income and you've got some financial buffers in place, you know, the cost of money is so cheap that, you know, it might be a great time to consider positioning yourself um, ready to buy for when more properties do become available in the very near future. Yeah, good time to get organised. Absolutely, yeah. So so if we look and we we talk about the future, um, I guess in our crystal ball looking at things, um, it's really hard to, we don't like to predict, obviously, what's going to happen in the future. Uh, We're doing our kids are going to go back to school. Uh, which will probably be really for a lot of people, and we know that sport will start up and, and life will kick back in again. Um, obviously, as I say, it's hard to look at a, at a future, but if you look back in history to try and give you some sort of idea of what the future could possibly look like or things that happen in the future. Well, yeah, so I guess looking to forecast, um, it's a difficult thing to do, and if you've been tracking the media, there are a number of people that have, you know, not being shy about forecasting some fairly horrific um, outcomes for the property market as a whole. One thing I will say is that um, any impacts on the Australian property market will be variable across different parts of Australia. Now, that is certain and, and that's what history has showed us. But what we will say also about forecasts, it conditions actually remain quite uncertain at the moment and therefore it's hard to make any meaningful assessment about where we're heading in the future. I think that the outcome will be very different if we start to open up our economy and there's no second wave of coronavirus or if we're able to, you know, tackle in on any small outbreaks that may occur versus having another massive second wave. You know, obviously we can't predict 
um, the scenario in those two outcomes because they're very, very different. So, you know, a lot of the the worst case predictions are based on the worst case outcomes. And I think that people have to be mindful of that when they're reading into those sorts of reports. But when we look back and we look at, you know, how has Brisbane performed versus other areas around Australia in other significant economic events, you know, we look we can look back to the recession of the early 1990s. And what we know as a result of history is that Melbourne at that time bore the brunt, um, where house prices fell more than 6%, and yet Brisbane house prices remained stable and flat throughout that recession period. So it just goes to show, and that's just one example, it goes to show that the macroeconomic environment does impact the demand for property and contributes to the demand for property but its impact as a whole depends on the fundamentals that are in place in a specific property market at a given point in time. And that's probably the critical element to um, remember because when people reference what's happening in the Australian property market or what might happen in the Australian property market, it's variable depending on the location that they're talking about. Yeah, and one thing we touched on there, as Melinda mentioned a few times, was time. We're investing, when you invest in property, for us it's, it's, it's a time period. And if you invest, your investment should be longer than what coronavirus will last. Um, so as long as you invest in, in a smart, in a good area that's got good capital growth, it, strong investments and set yourself up now for that future investment. Yeah. And again, the same thing is if you are a home buyer, you're not buying a home for the next six or 12 months. You're actually buying a home for a number of years. So a lot of people are losing focus on, you know, their long-term uh, plans simply because of some short-term difficulties that we're all experiencing and you know because of that that's that's certainly one of the reasons why a lot of buyers have been sitting on the sidelines but um, you know as I mentioned we are seeing a pickup in buyer activity right now so I think that that correlates very closely with the fact that we've had a, a really um, small number of new coronavirus cases um, in the last month here in Queensland. So as, as you can probably pick up with the tone of our, our talking here, we, we talk about Brisbane. So when Melinda talks about Melbourne and Sydney, and it's not that we're trying to put those areas down. We specialise in Brisbane. We live here. We know Brisbane inside and out. So this is our backyard. This is what we know. When people talk in the media about um, the property market, generally a lot of that is focused on Sydney and Melbourne. What we're trying to do in the whole idea of this podcast is to actually talk about Brisbane specifically and just give you that information directly about Brisbane itself. So that's what it's not. We're not selling Brisbane. We are a little bit pro-Brisbane. We live here. But um, yeah, that that's the main idea of this podcast is to talk about Brisbane specifically. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, you've hit the the nail on the head there because what we do find is that most data that we see in the mainstream media does relate to the largest property markets in Australia and that is Sydney and Melbourne and sometimes it's not exactly relevant to what's happening here in Brisbane um, so if we sort of look look at the local drivers of supply and demand they can be very different to what's happening at a more um, you know broader scale across larger property markets so Scott, should we talk about the local drivers of supply and demand? Yes, I thought it was quite appropriate. Um, I'm sure everyone heard in the, the previous episodes, I am a licensed builder. So Melinda's sort of hit it, hit the nail on the head, as she said, <laughs> <laughs> which I think is quite appropriate the way she talked about that there. Um, on the building side of it, Melinda, what about building approvals and, and that side of things for the market here? 
Yeah, it's a good question because when we're looking at the supply side of the equation for property values, there's a couple of things that make up that supply. And one is the number of properties that are available for sale now, and that comes down to listing volumes. And we've already discussed the fact that listing volumes are drying up and we are seeing those levels shrink. Uh, But the other side of supply comes from, you know, new dwellings that are available to purchase. And that comes from constructions and uh, construction commencements comes from building approvals. And in fact, just this week in the first week of May, the Australian Bureau of Statistics released their latest numbers in terms of building approvals here in Queensland. And we have seen a decline year on year of 3.4% across new housing approvals and a massive decline of 24.4% on new unit approvals. So when we look forward, you know, what that what does that mean? It means that there's going to be limited or um, a slower rate of increase, if that makes sense, of new dwellings being delivered to the market in the future. So when you couple that with, you know, lower listing volumes, you've really got a very tight market in terms of supply. And, of course, you've always got to look at the other side, which is um, the demand. So a lot of the um, the population growth, I guess, is a big big side of things there on whether it's Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, and and what changes population. So what what's the biggest impact we think from the coronavirus? What can happen with the population growth? Yeah, look, population growth is is definitely important to consider from the demand side of things. But can I just make it very clear that population growth alone does not drive demand solely and that demand is made up of a number of things. And I'd really like to touch on those elements in a lot more detail in another podcast in a future episode. But, you know, yeah, the macroeconomic environment Um, contributes to the demand for property, as does um, the rate of employment and as does population growth, you know, just purely the number of people that need a home versus the number of homes that are available. So if we have a look at population growth, there's three ways the population can grow. One is um, through natural population growth, um, new babies being born. Another is through um, overseas migration, people coming from overseas to live in Australia. And of course, the third way is through interstate migration. So people relocating from one state to another. Now, at this time, it's certainly changing um, the way our population is growing because the borders are closed. So the international border has certainly put a grinding halt to overseas migration. Now, the markets that are most impacted by this will be Sydney and Melbourne because they are the two cities that rely predominantly on overseas migration to drive their population growth. Brisbane or Queensland as a state is a little bit different in that the majority of our population growth actually comes from interstate migration. So that is people relocating from one state to Queensland and the largest um, group of people that come to Queensland are from New South Wales. Now, Scott, I actually wonder what, you know, the result will be um, after this lockdown period. You know, will people potentially think about their future and um, and look at migrating to southeast Queensland or, or other parts of Queensland or indeed other parts of Australia? And therefore, I wonder what impact that might have on our future population growth. Yeah, I think people have had a lot of time to think and, and ponder on, on life. And I think the experience of working from home, we, we work from home ourselves um we've got three boys um so lifestyle is is a huge part of the reason we do what we do uh to be able to work from home and have that opportunity is there'll be a lot of big companies probably out there that will 
probably look at this and say, look, you can work from home more often and encourage people to do that. So to do that, to live in a really nice area that's livable and that's what we probably sell Brisbane on. Um, it's it's blue skies, it's sunny, it's warm in winter. Um, you know, it's it's a good lifestyle. So to work from home and then you, you've got the convenience for travel and everything from there, uh, I think that will change a lot of things. Yeah, and I think people will, will just rethink the way they um, they live and potentially selling up more expensive properties in, in larger cities and relocating to more affordable areas. Look, it may not be a trend we see, but it may be a trend we see. And we've got to be mindful of, you know, the way uh, people's decisions will change moving forward. Um, and then also consider, well, what impact might that have on the demand for property in those locations that become more desirable and, um, you know, how does that relate to, you know, local drivers of supply and demand in a particular location? So I think we've unpacked a lot in um, in the episode today, Scott. Yeah, look, it's been, it's been great talking to everyone again. I uh, hope, hope you've enjoyed it. hope you've taken away some some points there. Just check out those socials if you like on the um, interviews that Melinda's been doing with some professionals in the industry. Um, but look, hopefully you've enjoyed it. Hopefully we can uh, keep bringing us more information and updates on the Brizzy market. Um, and that's it from me. So take care and bye for now. Yeah. And just to summarize, I mean, if we're going to unpack this episode, what's been happening amongst the, the period where we've had this coronavirus in our lives, we've, we've seen, you know, listing volumes decline, but no change in property values to date that that's noticeable and just a very small increase across April in terms of the data of reported sales. So we've had some strong uh, price or some moderate price growth um, that has been recorded, but we've also got a rental market that seems to be supported at the moment with less than 2% rental arrears. And, um, you know, I guess the biggest issue is going to be future supply because we've got such a shortage of new listings. Um, and as buyer activity increases, we're going to be watching the market very closely to help you understand what we're seeing on the ground and how those dynamics of supply and demand will play out in the coming months. So I hope that's been of value and we look forward to chatting to you again soon. Uh, don't forget to like us or leave us a comment or drop us a line to tell us other things that you would like us to talk about in these podcast episodes. We're really happy to um, answer some of the questions that you might have. So thank you again for tuning in and we look forward to uh, speaking with you again sometime soon. Bye See for now. See you next time. Bye. Thanks for tuning in today. Please remember everything we have spoken about on this podcast is general in nature and we always recommend that you obtain independent advice in relation to your specific circumstances. If you liked today's episode, don't forget to subscribe or leave us a review on iTunes and, of course, tell your friends about us. If you would like to get in contact, please visit www.brisbanepropertypodcast.com.au or email us at info at brisbanepropertypodcast.com.au. Feel free to send in any questions and we will try to answer them in future episodes.